0: Peace, we Dominic, welcome to the Alt Mainstream Podcast.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Oh, pleasure to have you. I think you bring such a fascinating perspective to the conversation on alts here, given your background in the pension world and an asset allocation to number of different types of strategies within the alts world we'd love to dive into that but before that we'd love to just hear about your background what you focused on and then how you're thinking about the alt space
1: yeah sure so right now i'm the chief pension investment strategist for the cbre investment management what i do there is i basically work with uh, pension plan clients on two things optimizing their assets and optimizing their liability side but what brought me here was spending 18 years working for the wisconsin pension system And then as a CIO at the New Mexico Pension System, building out institutional, very sophisticated portfolios, using alternatives in terms of private equity, real estate, infrastructure, hedge funds, derivatives, you name it, under the sun. I've seen it and and been allocated to it somewhat.
0: Starting 18 years ago, that's pre-global financial crisis that is pre the rise of the majority of the tech ecosystem that we now are very familiar with as a retail public investor, the Ubers, the Facebooks, etc. Walk us through what in your mind has been the evolution of alts. There was significantly less capital allocated to private equity hedge venture strategies back then. So what did you see then and what do you see now?
1: Yeah, if I may, if I could go a little bit before even my time, There was the early investors, there was the fast movers, and then the slow movers after that, right? The early movers were obviously high net worth folks, uh, individual investors, even university endowments. That was back in the 80s and 90s. They saw a nice updraft of investment. I think it was 18 years ago. It's not unlike uh, what's happening now. I think a lot of institutions, particularly pensions, were just fed up with 60-40. If you think of 60-40, from a risk perspective, uh, it's 90% of your risk is in uh, growth or equity risk. So even if you think you're diversified in a 60-40 portfolio, the truth is you're, you're all in on the stock market. So I think pension plans started uh, moving away. I think that was, in my opinion, the start of institutionalization of, of the asset class and uh, all these various assets. And I grew up cutting my teeth on hedge funds. If I think about hedge funds 18 years ago, It was a pretty opaque world, but you had to know somebody to get in. It was a black box. It was very low data. So you were allocating in a a little bit in a blind way. Once pension institutions and the larger investors started, I think, allocating to to hedge funds, I think over the last uh, 18 years, you've seen a big institutionalization. Now I think hedge funds are, are accessible. Allocators are very smart and understanding what they invest in, being able to separate out their exposures in terms of beta and alpha and risk factors. It's just been this huge information sharing and the LP has gotten a lot smarter. But I don't think that's been true across all alternatives. Private equity is a good example. I think going forward, if I had to fast forward then 18 years from now, what would the alternatives world look, would look like? I think you would see that same progression that we saw in hedge funds to private equity, to real estate, to you name it. I think the lines between public and private will get completely blurred. In fact, private assets are no different than public. It's just the frequency of when you account for them. So I think investors are going to get even smarter and smarter. And the analysis, the allocation uh, to private assets is going to be exactly the same as you do to publics. And alternatives will continue to evolve because the whole point is that you want something other than a traditional stock or bond. So it'll always evolve. But I think the LP will get smarter and smarter and demand more information.
0: How does that change the GP's mindset as they build a business? And I mean, then the context of when you were investing into private equity and hedge funds back in the early to mid 2000s, there wasn't really the platformization of private equity or multi strat platforms, the Blackstones, the Carlyles, the Apollos, et cetera, as there is now, many of these firms are seeing the asset gathering opportunity. How do you think that has changed the alts landscape? And what does it mean for LPs in terms of allocation decisions they'll make, how they may recalibrate how they allocate as this space continues to grow?
1: Yeah, so again, I'm gonna refer back to hedge fund land. I think you said a, a great word called asset gathering. You'll see, particularly in private equity, you'll see a big bifurcation going forward between those that truly add value and those that are asset gatherers. It's really about your analysis, your understanding, your decomposition of what you're getting as an investor in those asset classes or in those firms. If you go back to hedge fund land, 18 years ago, there were some really big hedge funds that no longer exist. And why? Because it was revealed that they were more of an asset gatherer rather than a value creator. I I suspect you'll see the same filtering in private equity.
0: Interesting. How does that change the mindset of the GP as a business builder? Because they are business builders and gathering lots of assets can lead to pretty significant revenue streams for them. And then now there's also other ways in which they can access liquidity, secondary funds, the dials of the world, et cetera. Does this change the way GPs will think about the world too?
1: I think it will. If you think about the GP-LP relationship, for much of the time, the GPs had the bigger end of the stick. I think LPs are going to start getting a bigger end of the stick just in the information they're understanding, but also liquid alternatives. I think you're going to see liquid alternatives start to flourish across the board. There's going to be a true competition where I think you'll see a better balance between GP and LP leverage in the marketplace. If you're a GP building your business looking for the next 10-15 years, I think you need to focus on being a value creator rather than an asset gatherer and being able to build all that technology to understand where that value creation is in your firm and support it from a technology, operations, people, uh, etc. I think you're going to see a revolution or evolution in the way a traditional private equity or alternatives firm functions going forward how do
0: you think the retailization of alts, private equity hedge, with the likes of the iCapitals, the MoonFares, the allocates and VC of the world trying to bring the access to private markets down market to the retail high net worth investor, how do you think that changes how there's that GPLP dynamic as well? Do you think that GPs start to focus on the retail channel more because they may not have as much stick, as you say, as the bigger institutional LPs might?
1: You know, that's a good thought. That may be true. I think the big reveal that's gonna be happening over the next decade is the private assets, private equity, let's pick on private equity, who's been able to gather assets, have the big stick on their side because you're producing 10, 15, 20% total returns. Well, once investors get smarter, and start demanding data, et cetera, you're going to find out that 15% is mostly beta. And and only a residual is true value added idiosyncratic alpha. Once that happens and once those replication strategies, and I think there's replication strategies already doing that, that's going to change the whole dynamic entirely. Will GPs that are revealed to only have little to know Value add and that will they just start moving to retail investors who maybe aren't as sophisticated? I think there's a good probability of that happening.
0: Interesting. From that perspective as well, how do you think about investors thinking about correlation in their portfolios? You mentioned one thing earlier that really resonated, which is that there's a blending between public and private markets. What I took from that is that whether you're allocated to public equities or private equity, that could be hedge funds that have exposure to equities, that could be private equity funds or venture funds that have exposure to equities. You're really exposed to equity across the spectrum of private and public equities. How does that change how people then think about diversification, managing risk in their portfolios, and then where do they look for those idiosyncratic allocations that could could be uncorrelated and then also potentially generate return
1: it's a huge issue to get back to my original comment I think if you invest in let's say the public equity or private equity the fundamental risks are are no different the only difference is there's a smoothing effect with your private assets in when you recognize that valuation so in my mind private assets public assets whether it's private equity or private real estate you name it it's almost perfectly correlated with the public equivalent of it. The differences in privates, hopefully you can access more of a manager skill and an alpha. What that means for diversification is, I think there's some investors that maybe believe that buying private equity diversifies them from their equities. No, all you're doing is buying more of the same because private equity has a levered allocation to equity. So you're not diversifying. Investors will have to reallocate how they've allocated to alternatives, and and if, if their goal is true diversification.
0: There's two things on that point that I want to touch on. One is, do you think that there will be innovations around liquidity options for those who are allocating to private equity? Could be in the form of GP stakes, and then you're getting a somewhat different return stream if you're an investor, an LP in a fund like Dial or there's just liquidity options, and this could be the case in crypto. People may want to hold their NFTs, their board apes, but you lend against those assets. Now, can you value those assets? Different question, and I'm using a very extreme example, but the idea of liquidity as a product for the alt space that ends up enabling people to still be exposed to that equity, but then also lessens that exposure in another sense. Is that where the space is going in your mind? I
1: I think so. In my mind, I think the investor's opportunity cost is the public market equivalent. So let's again, pick on private equity. If you're an investor, the Russell 3000 is your public market equivalent. I'm going to allocate away from that only in the event that I find a manager. Why would I lock up for 10 years on something that's going to give me the exact same exposure, only if that manager is going to give me an alpha, identifiable alpha, that's idiosyncratic over and above that public market equivalent. If you have that belief, you say, hey, look, I don't need to buy 100 GPs in private equity. I only need those that I have the most confidence in, or let's call it half a dozen to a dozen. And my core of my equity portfolio now doesn't need to be Russell 3000 and private equity. Now I'm really just in a manager selection mode of trying to find the most skilled manager who's going to produce an alpha. And I don't feel compelled that I'm in this consistent cycle of buying GPs and doing this consistent cycle of allocating over and beyond your determined targets. When you have that as your starting point, I think you start saying, hey, these liquid alts, these replication strategies, those are attractive too. That's going to disrupt the traditional GP in, in private space. On that point,
0: the argument that a private equity fund or hedge fund manager would make is that you can't replicate the returns that you would get in private markets with a liquid alts strategy. Sure, there may be reasons to use liquid alts and The access reasons, certain aspects of a portfolio construction may make sense. But the private equity side would say liquid alts are not going to replicate the true returns that you'd get in a more illiquid asset. So why try to put a square peg into a round hole and create a a liquid product for an illiquid asset? What's your view on that?
1: It's just not true. Let's say a private equity portfolio generated a 10% return. When you do that, when you decipher or decompose that 10% return stream analytically, eight, 9% is gonna be some factor, basically an equity plus some factor exposure, and hopefully there's an alpha left over. So yeah, I don't think a replication strategy can replicate their alpha component, but it can replicate 90 plus percent of that return. Instead of paying two and 20 for a return stream that you can replicate 90% of, at a much cheaper cost, you're going to do the cost-benefit analysis of saying, "Okay, I'm only going to buy these managers that have an identifiable alpha that's five, six, seven, eight, nine percent." But I'm still going to keep my core to be these replication strategies or a PME. So now, what I'm doing is I'm I'm creating a private equity portfolio at at least half the cost. Now the alpha is coming to me, not to the manager.
0: Do you feel like? Institutions have picked up on that for the most part? And if so, when does that also transport itself over to the retail investor?
1: So by and large, I'd say no. I'd say maybe 5% of institutional investors would agree with what we're talking about here. And even less are actually doing this in their portfolio or thinking about it. But I, I'm gonna go back to hedge fund investing. I don't know when it was, but there was a trigger where all of a sudden, It was revealed who had alpha and who doesn't, or at least the mechanism to figure that out. I think it was by investors demanding more information, analytics and technology getting better. In private equity, we're maybe three, five years away from that happening. And then I think everything we're talking about here will be more mainstream, call it five years from now. Interesting. I want
0: to end this podcast with a question that I always ask all the guests, which is what is your most interesting or favorite alternative investment?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Can I say it's a failed one? Sure. So as a CIO at a former pension plan, we tried to do a direct purchase of a very highly prized uh, asset um, that was gonna benefit the pension system both by killing two birds with one stone, getting a good return and paying down some of the unfunded liability that we have. It failed for some political reasons, but uh, I think it's a great strategy, one that I'm working on now for pension systems to, to uh, kill two birds with one stone, affect their asset side of their balance sheet, but more importantly, their liability of their uh, asset sheet.
0: You're hitting on one really interesting theme too. I know we only have a little bit of time, so I want to be mindful of that. But one point here that I think is really important, we've seen with pension plans start to trim down their GP relationships and also be more active in going direct, either co-invest or directs. How does this relate to that? And why is that so important for the evolution of alts?
1: Yeah, so this is a little different. Going direct makes a ton of sense because basically you're capturing more of the gross return. So it's an economic grab. Mm -hmm. This is more of a transfer of an asset from the employer. So let's say the city of LA. The city of LA has a multi-billion dollar unfunded liability, but they have hard assets that they could transfer to the pension to pay that down. It's kind of a win-win for the city. It's a win-win for the pension system that's a transaction that I tried in the past and didn't work, but trying to work with other folks to get those types of transactions done. Are
0: many pensions well-equipped to do that type of thing?
1: I think a lot of pensions can effectuate it, but they need um, good managers to help them manage it and and, and extract value going forward.
0: So there's a new product to be created. Yes, there is. Well, I look forward to seeing that in the world. Thanks so much, Dominic. Really appreciate you coming on on the podcast. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Alt Goes Mainstream. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites, and you can read more about alts at my substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com, and follow me on Twitter at at Michael Sidgemore and at goesalt. Thanks a lot, and have a great day.
1: We're going-